Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. .edu/podcast You know I guess I think I've always been a professional critic you know or some sort of professional appreciator or something Now this is serious business here man Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. As a singer, songwriter, and producer who blended rock, soul, and country, Nick Lowe was one of the key figures in the punk and new wave scene in 1970s Britain. I'm Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. We talk to troubadour and raconteur Nick Lowe and review the latest album by controversial singer Sinead O'Connor. That's coming up on Sound Opinions. From WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX, you're listening to Sound Opinions, and time now for some music news. That is the former number one hit in Chicago, the Super Bowl Shuffle, from the Chicago Bears. Jim McMahon, Walter Payton singing on that song. One of the few successful attempts by a professional athlete or athletes to cross over into the music industry. Well, and I would put quotes around successful, Greg, (laughs) if we're judging it as art. Yeah, I don't think it uh, really qualified as art or as hip-hop or as music, but fans sure loved it in Chicago. The reason we're bringing it up is that the National Football League is now trying to help current and former players get into the music business. It's taken a formal step in that direction by setting up what it calls a Business of Music Boot Camp in collaboration with New York University's Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music. What they're doing is setting up a a tutoring program for NFL athletes to 
continue in another career once their playing days are over. Because much like the music industry, the similarities here with uh, a pro football career are pretty eerily similar. You have a very high-reward, high-risk business, very low success rate. Most players play only a couple of years, if that. So what are they going to do once their playing days are over? This was an attempt by the NFL to help them make the next step in their careers. Well, now, correct me if I'm wrong, Greg. You're the sports fan. I'm not. But the record of athletes becoming successful musicians is is small to non-existent, right? You know, I think you can count them on two hands. Now, you have Shaquille O'Neal perhaps maybe the most successful professional athlete in music the last couple of decades. He released five rap albums, one of which went platinum, meaning it sold a million copies. Now, you got to wonder, was that because Shaq was such a great rapper or because he's Shaquille O'Neal, great basketball player? I'll leave that up to you. My opinion, mm, not so good as a rapper. Oscar de la Hoya, the uh, the boxer, he actually released a self-titled Latin pop album in 2000 that reached number two on the Billboard Latin chart. Mike Reed, this guy, I think, has real credibility. He was a top-notch defensive lineman for the Cincinnati Bengals and then went on to win a 1984 Grammy for writing uh, Ronnie Millsap's hit Stranger in My House. He also wrote songs for people like Bonnie Raitt and was inducted into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2005. So not bad. And Bernie Williams, the New York Yankees outfielder, actually a very credible, smooth jazz guitarist, released a couple of albums to uh, positive reviews. But most of them, uh, not so good, Jim. Greg, though, the emphasis, to be fair, by the NFL is not to make these guys performers in their second career, but it's to get them into the business. And we all know the recording industry is desperate for some sort of better business model. Look at the NFL in contrast. It is this massive money-making machine, and no corporation in America is better at protecting its copyrights. So maybe that is exactly what is needed in the music industry, this kind of NFL business know-how. And if that fails, these massive guys can still throw their weight around. You gotta love the Elvis classic, Jailhouse Rock, Greg. And this was illuminating when I first read this. The U.S. Bureau of Prisons is unveiling a program that will allow many of its more than 200,000 inmates for the first time to carry MP3 players. Previously, digital music players have not been allowed in the U.S. prison system. This program is currently being tested at a women's prison in uh, West Virginia, is expected to expand across the country by the end of the year. Now, there's an important catch here. The prison system is going to monitor what songs can be purchased to be loaded into those MP3 players. There'll be a list of about a million titles to start with, and uh, according to the Prison Bureau, they'll be monitored to exclude explicit tracks, including material such as uh, obscene or racially charged language and one would assume any song about tunneling out of prison, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't think Thin Lizzy's Jailbreak or Judas Priest Breaking the Law are going to be on that list, Jim. But we do have some ideas about songs that maybe could help them endure being in prison. I was thinking, you know, the only thing I'm thinking about is getting out. And a song that directly addresses this, it's a real rarity, Hair of Cell 44 by the Zombies back in the 60s, kind of unprecedented. A song that actually has an optimistic view 
about a guy being in prison because he's looking forward to getting out. He just got a letter from his wife or his girlfriend. A little bit of that cheeriness in an otherwise dull, dark existence. I think also an obvious choice would be the entire canon of Johnny Cash's mm. work. He was so connected with the prison system. But I think I would go for the 1965 Animals hit. We got to get out of this place. You know, it was a Vietnam War yeah. anthem. It's been adopted by kids who are so eager to get out of school. I think that might be a little more general. But let's toss it out to the listeners. What would be the ideal MP3 playlist if you were in prison? Give us a call at 888-859-1800. We got to get This is Sound Opinions, and that's the classic track, Cruel to be Kind, written and performed by our guest this week, Nick Lowe, the so-called Jesus of Cool. He's been making music for 40 years, blending the influences of American soul, country, and rock with this dirty, anti-glam sound in England called pub rock. He began his career playing with bands like Brinsley Schwartz, which was named for his school friend and bandmate, and Rock Pile, which he formed with Dave Edmonds. Then went on to make a name for himself as a producer, working with artists like Elvis Costello, Graham Parker, and The Damned. But you know what? He remains a relatively unknown figure outside the UK. In fact, I think his songs are better known than he is. We're talking about tunes like What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding, I Love the Sound of Breaking Glass, and of course, Cruel to Be Kind, which was written over four decades ago with Brinsley Schwartz. So when Nick Lowe joined us in the studio, I asked him if he knew his songs would have a lasting impact. Well, I don't think you can ever really do that. Especially back then, we, we thought it was all, you know, it would last for a year or so, and then we were back in the, in the biscuit factory, you know. <laughs> the biscuit factory. <laughs> certainly didn't think that I'd be doing this in my 60s, let alone, you know, doing a song like that and have people still enjoy it. It's quite amazing. But you were writing songs that had sort of a classic bent to them. I knew you grew up listening to a lot of, uh, a lot of music a- as a kid. I know you're part of this whole pub rock, new wave, punk scene, where some of the attitude was a little tongue-in-cheek, like we're going to tear everything down. But you seem to be building on a tradition as well when, as, as a songwriter and a producer and a performer. I've found it sort of easier the older I've got, funnily enough. But I've always loved American music, for instance, of all different kinds. You, you can obviously hear country and western and rock and roll and stuff in, in the music I do, but I love... 
classic pop and uh, gospel and blues and, and even show tunes, you know, Broadway Broadway stuff. But I love what happens to it when it crosses the Atlantic as well. You know, I like the way that we feel we can mix it all up because we had no idea about the size of the United States, you know, the, the region, the different regional music, for instance. But there was an advantage to that because we just treated it all as this fantastic American music, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and that's why... Well, people, you know, there are, there are very obscure American acts who have revered in Europe, you know, and don't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. When, when did the musical bug bite you? I mean, your dad was an RAF officer, right? Mm. I, I gather he wasn't particularly musical. Or, you know, what, what, what happened as a kid to lead you to this path? Yes, well, well actually, he, he was quite musical, but he kept it, he kept it sort of under wraps, you know. Mm. He, he liked, rather bizarrely, he liked sort of bebop. He had rather good taste, actually, like bebop uh, jazz and which I didn't care for, but my mum did have much sort of broader musical taste. In fact, she taught me a few chords on the guitar, in mm. fact, and she had a pretty good voice. And um, I listened to the uh, records they had. I, I more than listened to them. You know, I knew every single syllable of them, and they were the good records that a kind of middle-class people had in the 50s, a lot of Sinatra, Nat King Cole, Peggy Lee, and some obscure, strange stuff like Sidney Bechet and most telling for, for me, my mum had two 10-inch albums of Tennessee Ernie Ford mm-hmm. and uh, I just thought that was the greatest, you know, the voice, the sound. That stands in the corner where the barrels are straight I look out the window and over the gate The big fat rabbits are jumping in the grass Wait till they hear my old shotgun blast Shotgun boogie I done saw your track Look out, Mr. Rabbit When I cock my hammer back And it must have sounded like it was coming from Mars Growing up in Kent, right? You know, where is this place? (laughs) It did, and I used to listen to AFN a a lot as well Because the BBC Forces program was very square indeed Mm. You know, but AFN Talk about coming from space I mean, I'd never heard of anyone called Howling Wolf or <laughs> Ferlin Husky, mm. you know, these people sounding, <laughs> what the heck is that? It, it seems to me, Nick, you've been uh, sort of doing your own version of that kind of music, especially the last 15 years. It's becoming more apparent, the old magic with your new album. What is the common thread there among all those different styles of music that you brought together? What was it that you were hearing that attracted you to those types of records and that is now very apparent in your music today? I think it's a lack of earnestness. I sort of react rather badly to earnest music mm. and earnest musicians. I'm not talking about serious, you know, serious is fine, you know, heartfelt and soulful is great, bring it on. But there's, there's, a, there's a very fine line between earnestness and, um, and sort of pomposity. Um, and uh, I, I like almost anything that isn't that. Shame on the rain. For making me twice as blue It's raining in my heart On my window too Days like this Have put out the flame I've got that smoke in my eye Shame I think it's different now, but all my generation completely rejected our parents' music. When we got a bit older, teenage, you know, teenagers, you know, I wouldn't have 
Doris Day, you know, it was all, it was Beatles and Stones and rock and roll, you know, and we were very um, snobby about music. I think it took me quite a long time to quit that. Well, we're sitting here with the Jesus of cool, Nick Lowe, <laughs> and he's got a guitar in his lap. I think we have to have to hear a, a song. Hmm. I suppose I'll do a, a, a something from my new record. Sure, from the old magic. From the old ma- magic, yes. This is a song called uh, Stoplight Roses. You've practiced and rehearsed it But in your heart you know it's too late Experience should tell you Never get your story too straight You'd better steal yourself And prepare for some blues to descend Cause you've broken something this time Stoplight roses can Dusted off your shame face in the mirror Behind the bathroom door That little boy lost look That used to work so well Doesn't anymore If you believe your same old used to be We'll see you through You'll last about as long As stoplight roses do Stoplight roses In their sad array Love's promise in cellophane lays Or dead giveaway You'll need time to devise A stylish plan And you'll do it driving over to the stoplight roses, man. If you believe your same old used to be, we'll see you through. You'll last about as long as stoplight roses do. What a treat. Nick Lowe, Stoplight Roses, from uh, the album that came out earlier this year, The Old Magic. Have they got Stoplight Roses men in the UK, Nick? Or is that a, you're driving around America seeing that? <laughs> I coined the phrase Stoplight Roses because I, I, um, someone tried to shove a bunch of them through my window when I was one mm-hmm. day, like, like uh, as happens, you know. It occurred to me that one of the functions of buying roses for people is to, is to apologize for something that you've 
done wrong. You know, mm. and I thought if you give somebody a bunch of these things, you know, it's making things about ten <laughs> times worse. You know, it's mm, the best that's you some can apology. Do. <laughs> you can still smell the gasoline on them. <laughs> We'll have more with Nick Lowe after a short break on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. And later in the show, Greg and I will review the new album from Irish pop singer Sinead O'Connor. And that is a song called Somebody Cares for Me from the Old Magic, the latest release by our guest this week, Nick Lowe. You know, the record, Greg, is aptly named because you hear a lot of Lowe's old sounds matched with a sort of renewed enthusiasm for making music. When we talk about this sound, when we say pub rock, you know, it's really the English roots rock music. Comes out of the music hall tradition. It's guys sharing a pint at the pub, singing together, you know, having a good old time. It's British roots music. Lowe, along with his rock pile bandmate Dave Edmonds, were fixtures on that scene, and they went on to influence the emerging styles of punk and new wave. But Lowe always maintained his own path as a singer and a songwriter, and unlike a lot of his contemporaries, he resisted that temptation to change for the sake of change. When it was me and, and my uh, contemporaries' turn, it's, al- it's almost like back then you did a sort of apprenticeship, you know, in the flesh pots of Germany and, and places like that. And then suddenly a voice said, right, kid, it's your turn, you're next, you know, and it's for your break. And when we got to the front of the queue, we looked at the pop business. As we saw it, it was awful. You know, loads of these terrible prog rock groups and drippy singer-songwriters, you know. Because I was slightly older than the people I was producing, because I was producing records then, and I I did a, a band called The Damned, for instance, they called me granddad or uncle or something. You know, I think I was 24. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and 
I never really liked the actual music, punk music. I had no really use use for because most of it was terrible. Mind you, a lot of the things that I I didn't like back then, and I thought was was really hideous. I think it's pretty good stuff now. <laughs> yeah, right. In fact, the, the the other day I was driving along in my car, and this record came on, and I thought I heard it. I thought, wow, this is pretty good. And then when the um, when the singing came in, I realized it was Life in the Fast Lane by the Eagles. Who <laughs> <laughs> we were the sort of antichrist back then. Oh. You know. <laughs> White honey, get up from the candy man. mentioned your production work for Costello and, and also Graham Parker, it needs to be noted, some really great records. I thought Parker was very much at Elvis's level in terms of his songwriting ability as a singer. He never seemed to get quite the same respect um, mm. post that era that Costello did. What's your take on it? What's, what's the difference between those two guys? I mean, you knew them both intimately. I do have a theory about uh, Graham, who is, gr- who is really great. I, I think that he had he, he had some bad luck in that he got sort of saddled with our old group. In other words, the Brinsley-Schwartz group. Mm-hmm. He had two, had Brinsley himself and Bob, me producing, and Martin Belmont, who might as well have been in Brinsley-Schwartz. He was a very good friend of ours. Mm-hmm. And the manager, Dave Robinson, was the, he used to manage uh, Brinsley-Schwartz. And it wasn't that, that um, they, were, they were bad guys or anything like that, but he got sort of saddled with all our old baggage, you know, because we'd only just broken up. And I think that that had something to do with it, that his group, he should have got some other people. Yeah, that's interesting. So you're sort of saying maybe the, the old guard, they were maybe associated with the old guard maybe a little bit more and, and they needed something. Yeah, and, and also he couldn't, I, I think that if, he, if you effectively join another, a group, he couldn't lay down the law, you know, because they, they, there's little rules, you know, little unsold, you know, unsaid rules with musicians who've played with each other on the road for a long time. And suddenly he's just in the, in the band and, and, can't just lay, and can't lay down the law a little bit, you know, which has to be done if you're the main man. Mm-hmm. That is my theory, and I'm sure that when the others hear that that's my theory, they yeah. won't be very <laughs> pleased about it. <laughs> They'll have a little chat with you the next time they see you, right? And meanwhile, you're making these great records, essentially rock pile. They were all rock pile records between you and Edmonds, right? But for contractual reasons, mm. they couldn't be called that. You did make the one rock pile record at the end of that era, around circa 1980. A great record. Because I got this question a lot the last few weeks since I interviewed you, Nick. Why isn't Rockpile, why don't they ever do something together? Why don't they ever uh, come together and do something? Well, it, we, we, can't, we can't really now, even if, even if we wanted to, because one of the members, Terry, just doesn't play anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm very aware of the fact that one of the reasons I'm here talking to you is because of uh, Rockpile.
And I'm, every time I come to the United States, I'm astonished by how much affection that group is, is um, held in. And even with people who never actually saw us play, Initially, I, I sort of tried to uh, shrug shrug this off, but I can't really ignore it anymore because it's so persistent. People always ask about Rockpile, mm. and it's true that back in those days, in the late 70s, we, we slogged around the United States. It, it did show after show after show, opened for everybody, you know, played every bar, and and that has paid off. And the places where we were really popular are, are really the places where I'm still popular but we were victims of our own success really in the in that um the reason why people liked us was the fact that we got together for fun we knocked up a, a set in a an afternoon i think and we did it for about the next three years that was and <laughs> occasionally would you know stick it and stick new tunes in but we never worked at it is what i mean and we'd come out generally quite sloshed quite drunk you know <laughs> and have a great time we we loved it and people reacted very strongly you know very, very well to that they could see that that was what we were up to but then suddenly uh, somebody at columbia said uh, you know what you guys you know you could actually um do it over here if you put a little bit of work in, and and as soon as we heard the W word, you know, <laughs> and we were—it's like the bubble burst, you know—and uh -huh. we were and we were off. How about another song, Nick? And and why don't you tell us what you want to play, um, and and how it came together? I'm gonna I'm gonna play another song from the old Magic. Excellent. And I'm gonna do this one because um, it's quite easy to sing. It's a bit early in the day for me. <laughs> Uh, it's, a, it's a good little tune too it's a good little tune um, it's just a, a called um, Somebody Cares For Me I'm on a lonely street But nobody tore on my feet They're walking on air Cause somebody cares for me I'm in a blue hotel Room like a prison cell but I'd sleep on the stairs While somebody cares for me In a dim saloon Anytime before noon There's an empty chair Cause somebody cares for me I find myself in church I don't come in here much But I'm saying a prayer for somebody cares for me It's like I filled a hole That was shaped all wrong With a piece of the puzzle That's been missing all along If you think I'm glad I'll say you got that dad I got more than my share Cause somebody cares for me Right Well, it's like I filled a hole up that we shaped all wrong With a piece of a jigsaw puzzle that's been missing for too, too long If you think I'm glad, 
I'll say I'm more than that I'm glad as can be that Somebody cares for me I'm glad, so glad I'm as glad as can be Somebody cares for me Nick Lowe, rock and roll, somebody cares for me on Sound Opinions. You are listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and we are here with Nick Lowe. It's a real honor to have you here, Nick. I did have to ask you about what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding. You mentioned earlier the, you know, puncturing the pomposity and the earnestness of, of early 70s music. Maybe a lot of people don't realize that you, you wrote and, and recorded that song originally. As I this wicked world Searching for light In the darkness of insanity Is our hope gone? Is there only hatred and misery? Oh yeah, and each time I feel like this inside, there's one thing I wanna know. Oh, what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? And then when Elvis Costello covered it, there was that anthemic earnestness about his version. What did you think? Well, I I, I thought it was <laughs> jaw dropping. <laughs> when I, I I always think of that song as the first first original idea I ha- I had. I'd been writing I'd been writing for a little while, and like everybody, you know, you st- you start off by rewriting your hero's catalogue. Then when you've done that, you move on to somebody else and rip them off, you know. And and uh, <laughs> um, uh, the day I remember the day when I had the idea, what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? It's a bit of a mouthful, you know. But I remember thinking, man, that's a really great idea. I hadn't, I can't believe I'd thought of this myself. <laughs> and I hadn't got it from somewhere else. And the original idea was it was going to be a sort of funny song. It was like a rueful old hippie because the 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 times were a change in then you know hippie the hippie dream had sort of burst you know and but it was being replaced by a sort of smarter amphetamine kind of thing that came in in the 70s and it was supposed to be this old hippie you know saying well you know you think i'm irrelevant now you know but all I'm saying, you know, you're, you're making fun of me now, but all I'm saying is what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding, man? You know, you can't deny it, you know. But I remember thinking, that this is a really good idea. Don't blow it. Don't make it too, <laughs> you know, too specific here, you know. I thought, no one's going to buy this coming from me, you know, searching for light in the darkness, you know, <laughs> a load of old nonsense. But then when Elvis, who I had known for a, a, a while he used to come and see the brinsleys he was um, quite a quite a fan and um i'd met him at the cavern club in liverpool when we where, where we were doing a show he, he came along and i well he says that he introduced himself to me I, I i remember it slightly differently but anyway that's where we met in the grapes the pub 
called the Grapes, which was across the road from the, from the cavern. And then years later, uh, when I became his producer, and as far as I was concerned, Peaceful Understanding had wound up in the uh, garbage bin with the rest of our repertoire, you know, <laughs> um, and he actually said... I really think we should re- record Peace, Love and Understanding. I think we could do a fantastic version of it. And who was I to argue? You know? mm. And uh, But he, as you say, he's the one who put that real sort of fist-punching, pun- punching the air sort of uh, thing into it. Ours, our, the Brinsley's version was uh, majestic, I should say, you know, whereas um, he, you know, he put, put the hurt on it, you know, which everyone <laughs> reacted so well to. And now... I mean, I've got recordings of it by people in the blooming Sahara, you know, tribesmen in the Sahara, Tahitian fishermen, you know. (laughs) It's on the Bodyguard soundtrack. It's old 44 million copies. (laughs) I mean, that's that's not a bad little song for you. You said the the words came to you first and then you put some chords with it? Yeah, Uh the idea came first, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you hear the idea and then you're just strumming the guitar and... Yeah, I sort of heard this, um, I definitely heard... As I walk this wicked world... Like, you know, Mm -hmm. that that thing, I I thought that was simple. Yeah, yeah. Catchy and effective. Not (laughs) screwing it up, like you said, that's the goal. (laughs) Don't get in the way of it. I tend to do it more, uh, as I walk this wicked world... Searching for light in the darkness of insanity. I ask myself, is all hope lost? Is there only pain, hatred, and misery? And each time I feel like this one thing I want to know What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding Wow, beautiful. I read somewhere that you were thinking Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes when you were originally No, Cool song? To Be Kind was um, That was Harold Cool To Be Kind, like, okay. uh, I can't take another heartache, don't you see? Like uh, the love I lost. Uh, <laughs> okay. Let's make it. Well, both of those songs are timeless, Nick. And you have, you know, a dozen songs that are that way in the canon that you've given us. It seems to me that the uh, you, you've had a hell of a 21st century. <laughs> Some tough times in the 90s, but you've really rebounded, and you've done it by doing one of the bravest things anyone in rock and roll can do, by looking at this myth. Live fast, die young, burn out. Better to burn out than to fade away, right? You're saying, you know what really <laughs> takes guts to say? I'm getting older. Yeah, I, well, I think there's, there's, there's quite a lot of people who are doing fantastic work still you know who sure. are who are up there paul simon they I, I haven't heard his new record but they tell me that it's one of the best things he's ever done we've reviewed it and we love it neil young's another one yeah but but you Bob know Dylan, of course after two hands we started to, to, to have a hard time <laughs> naming many more well uh, yes i suppose i've just sort of made a virtue of it, made a song and dance about it really that's um that's it but i did definitely sort of think about it think that 
um, I was going to have to. Well, as I see it, you know, when my after my little spell as a pop star was was over, I knew it would come because I that's I knew I wasn't one of those people like Elton John, you know, someone like that who whose whose career just seems to span the decades. You know, I knew that that, that I wasn't one of those very rare people. But still, when I I suddenly found that I couldn't get a table in a restaurant as easily as I once could, you know, and these round up an exotic looking girlfriend who wouldn't have looked at me and that, you know, if I hadn't been on the TV, you know, looked at me twice, suddenly they were in a bit short supply, you know, Mm. I realized that it was, (laughs) it was all over, pal. Um, But I didn't. And I'd done pretty well as well. I, you know, I, I, I wasn't about to whine about it. Because I'd done pretty well. I'd written some pretty good songs and produced some good records. But the public had moved on and they weren't interested in my shtick anymore. Mm. And I, but I couldn't help thinking that um, I hadn't really done anything really, really good. Uh, I'd had a hit. You know, I could sort of, it was like a box you could tick. You know, yes, hit record. Yes, mm. answer, you know, tick. And um, all these things. And it's almost like I'd got them out of the way in order to clear the clear the ground for me to do something else something that would whereby the fact i was getting older would improve it actually it would it would actually make it give it some bottom and some base base and i thought if i get it hip enough i could get younger people to dig it as well so you keep putting yourself down at 62 you know soon to be 63 i mean big deal right what are you going to do when you're 75? You got any plans? You got to look ahead. Well, it'd be it'd be great, you know, to to still, you know, be able to do it and 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 be good, not just get a clap because you turned up, you know, and and yeah. you're the, you know, that <laughs> seems a rather a shame. But to be yeah, we've seen the to, old guy. Yeah, to to actually put it over, you know, and really do something cool would be great. I'm getting a little touch of arthritis in my fingers and things like that, you know, but um, but I, you know, I've, I've I feel good, and whilst um, and whilst I'm not embarrassing, you know, embarrassing anyone or making people feel sort of sorry for me, um, I'll, I'll keep doing I'll it, keep knocking it out. Yeah, cool. excellent. We look forward to that, Nick. It's been an honor and pleasure having Nick Lowe on Sound Opinions. Thank you for having me. I We've got video of Nick Lowe up at soundopinions.org. And we invite you to share your own opinions on Sound Opinions. Call 888-859-1800 or connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be back after a quick break on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX with a review of the latest from Sinead O'Connor and my addition to the Desert Island Jukebox.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and that is a song called The Wolf is Getting Married from the new album by Sinead O'Connor, the ninth of her career, How About I Be Me and You Be You. It's a phrase I often say to you, Greg Cott. (laughs) Sinead O'Connor debuted in the late 80s with two phenomenal hit albums, commercial hits and artistic hits, The Lion and the Cobra and I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got. Greg, I would argue she also had a very good 90s. I think Universal Mother in 1994 really connected her with the nascent alternative rock explosion. But I think, sadly, she is best known at age 45 for her troubles, her troubled personal life, ancient history tearing up the picture of the Pope. But in recent years, you know, she's been married four times. She's admitted sexual confusion, sexual abuse, that she suffers from bipolar disorder, that she's had drug problems. What is she doing now on this new album? She certainly hasn't been quiet in the new century. She gave us a album of reggae covers. Before that, from her native Ireland, she did an album of acoustic readings of Irish folk music, Irish ballads. What is going on with How About I Be Me and You Be You? We'll play a track and come back and give our reviews. This is a song called Old Lady by Sinead O'Connor on Sound Opinions. When I'm an old lady I'm gonna be his baby I'm gonna wrap myself around him Then I'm gonna kiss him But that's always words in the world make me laugh like an idiot not be so serious for now when I'm around him I act like I don't care for him I even act like I don't like him Ignore him to spite him But only so that I won't smile at him Or everyone would know I love him And that's so uncool Cause it's messing with all the rules That is Old Lady from Sinead O'Connor's latest album How About I Be Me and You Be You? You know, one thing you can always count on with Sinead O'Connor is a certain amount of transparency. She's going to wear it on her sleeve. She's going to tell you exactly what she thinks. She's not going to sugarcoat it. In some ways, this is a typically personal album with more of a pop approach. I think a lot of people who may have dismissed Sinead O'Connor probably didn't think she was capable of making a record with this many singable, melodic songs on it anymore. But, you know, she's delivered a fairly decent pop record here. It's quite witty, funny. She's poking fun at herself. Sinead, with a sense of humor, is a good thing. What brings it down for me are when she mistakes a rant for a song or a song for a rant. We've heard her troubles with the Pope and the Vatican in the past. In some ways, it, it brought down her career 
Now she's off on another song, Take Off Your Shoes, in which she attacks the Vatican again. Whether you love what she's saying or, or disagree with it vehemently, the point is she's making music. I'm not sure there's a real great song there. And I definitely think in the song VIP, which she goes after Bono. Okay, go after Bono, but don't give me a speech. Give me a song. The artists always spoke their people's needs. Now we're gorged upon what devils feed in the shallow form of MTV. Telling the youth to worship futile dreams and long for bling and for material things. Because of that, I'm going to have to give it a burn it rating. Wow, that's a little harsh, Greg, because I think this is a brilliant record. Put out of your head all the nonsense you've read on TMZ and everywhere else about Sinead O'Connor and listen to the music. This is by far her best, I think, since Universal Mother. I think we cannot understand the context of Irish politics, where Bono fits and where the Dublin-centered sex scandal is going on. I will give her a pass because of the passion behind Take Off Your Shoes and VIP. They do not dominate the album. Every other song, she's considering what is love, what is marriage, what is commitment, what is the responsibility of being a parent. I know I've made a mess of it, she's singing, with that incredible voice, which is undiminished by the ravages of time. And she's doing it, as you said, with humor. You know, when she sings, make me laugh like an idiot, not be so serious, she means it. There's a joy in this music. I think this is absolutely an enthusiastic buy it record. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as we can here on Sound Opinions, one of us likes to fly over the desert island, parachute down, and spend some time there listening to some good music. Greg, do you have a desert island jukebox pick? I do indeed, Jim. Our conversation with Nick Lowe got me thinking about all kinds of things 70s because Lowe was so central to that decade in terms of the music that was coming out of the UK, which I loved. Not only Lowe's own songwriting and contributions to the various bands that he was in, but as a producer, and I think his work with The Damned especially may be undervalued. A lot of people may not realize, I mean, The Damned were the first punk band out of the UK on the map in terms of recording music. I mean, they put out the very first single the very first punk album, beat the Sex Pistols to the punch in a lot of ways, and established that sound for eternity. What a great band. You start with the singer Dave Vanian, you bring in Captain Sensible on guitar, mm. Rat Scabies on drums, and Brian James as the other guitar player. In fact, James was the guy who wrote the song I'm going to play, New Rose, that very first single produced by Nick Lowe. What I think Lowe understood instinctively, even though he wasn't a punk per se, it was that get down, get dirty, get out imperative of punk. It was not supposed to be prettified. He had an amazing drummer in Rascabies, a guy who was incredibly underrated, I yeah. think, in the, in the pantheon of drummers out of that era. 
And those riffs that Sensible and Brian James were providing, they needed to sound dirty. The drums sound absolutely huge on this track. The guitar sounds so distorted, it sounds defective. And mm-hmm. it sounds great. I think it, it stood the test of time. And I think those were decisions made in the studio by Lowe not to prettify that sound. Even Chris Thomas, who produced those early Sex Pistols tracks, prettified them a little bit, cleaned them up. This sounds like punk rock to me and still does to this day. It's New Rose from 1976 by The Damned as produced by Nick Lowe on Sound Opinions. Is she really going out with him? Greg Cott, I'm sorry you got to that song before I ever did as a Desert Island Jukebox pick. The Sound Opinions Desert Island Jukebox is supported by Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark bourbon, it is what it isn't. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we are back from the South by Southwest Music Conference in Austin, Texas, and we'll have a full report. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say. Sound Opinions is produced by Robin Lynn and Jason Saldana with the able assistance of Annie Minoff and our fearless leader, our executive producer, Tori Malatia. He's got a new rose. He's got it good. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hey, Jim and Greg. This is Mike Reeve from Lafayette, Indiana. And I just wanted to thank you for your show with Fred Armisen. As a musician, I love Fred Armisen. A few years ago, my wife and I went to see him as a drummer extraordinaire, Jens Hanneman. Uh, that song is called Polynesian Nightmare, and a lot of people ask me about this one and this composition. I do a flam rest flam rest like so rest it was just absolutely hilarious bringing comedy and music together I just really appreciate it I met him after the show and uh, just a really great guy thanks for having him on Sound Opinions 
That's kind of the end of it right there. Hello, this is Stuart Tucker from Hamtramck, Michigan, calling in. A comment about your monkey's review. Yeah, I was there. I was a little kid when these records were coming out, and I'm looking at my the first record I ever owned, which is More of the Monkeys, which I got for having good grades when I was in school. When love comes knocking at your door, just open up and let it in. But I have to say that I soon reverted back to my father's much better Beatle album. You know, this discussion of them versus the Beatles definitely came up because they were trying to match them. There's some good songs that the Monkees did, and they were some interesting guys. And I wish they could have done it without the hype. Just think what it would have been like if they had been their own band from the get-go. If those same four guys had gotten together, I think the outcome would have been even better. And R.I.P. Davy Jones. He seemed like a really nice guy. I know when love comes knocking at your door That you're afraid of loving me Just open up and let it in But you're fighting and you see It's gonna be a magic on the ground So little girl, now don't you run and hide Yeah, my name is Brady. Uh, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I was just calling about the wizard review that just happened the monstrosity that I just heard. Definitely don't understand why one of you actually was defending it. Definitely sound like a hardcore version of Katy Perry. The production was terrible, and Kid Cudi's voice is just extremely monotonous, and kudos to the one who was actually the voice of reason and said that it was terrible. Thanks. This is important, so please turn it up if you can. Sure, so much the boy is became a man. Finally, I can see I'm feeling proper. No need to worry, I'm my happy new me. Cause I know there's someone high up in the sky looking out for all of us. Yeah, hey. I am so glad that you are keeping it heavy the last couple times for your Desert Island jukebox picks. I love that helmet track, but since you had Dessa on, this was a perfect opportunity to highlight the Minnesota rap scene with none other than the greatest of them all, Atmosphere. If I could, I would keep this feeling in a plastic jar. Bust it out whenever someone's acting hard. Settle down, barbecue in the backyard. The kids get treats and old folks get classic cars. Every day that gets to pass is a success. And every woman looks better in a sundress. The sun shines an excuse to shoot hoops. Get juice, show and prove them moves and let loose. He takes that sound that they're so known for, the awesome beats, those incredible samples that they use, and mix them up with the most introspective lyrics. Uh, he does it better than them all. Yeah, just uh, letting you know that. Listen to you soon. They started off all wrong, but somehow now that hangover is all gone. Ain't nothing like the sound of the leaves when the breeze penetrates these south side trees. No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.